0: Hey guys, and welcome to today's episode of Give It The Beans. Now, by the time this goes out, I think that there will be roughly 25 days left in Scotland until the gyms open. That is unless uh, Big Nick has um, intervened and said something otherwise. But at the time of recording right now, we are 33 days away. Um, As some of you may know, I tend to try and record these um, a little bit earlier, um, just could I always try and pre-plan what the next week's episode is going to be, um, and then the one after that, so hence why I was to ahead of myself. But, a little bit of an update um, from myself and the team, well, fr- from my end, uh, I am now currently 13, 13 and a half weeks out um, from the first two rows qualifier, and then effectively will be 15 and a half weeks out, or 16 weeks out from the um, scheduled finals. It doesn't mean, however, though, um, that that is the first show of the season. We have some athletes that are um, competing in God less than three weeks now. I Think two, two and a half weeks, three and a half weeks. Sorry, um, Liam goes by the time this goes out, it'll be two and a half, and um, that's sort our of April show. Um, and then thereafter, they they start competing, um, stacking up. We've got three competitors competing in the May, tubo shows, um, and then plenty more across the year. So, yeah, a really exciting time um, from a coaching perspective because everyone's starting to look fucking good. Not to say that they didn't look good before, but everyone's starting to look kind of on the money um, and, and kind of that, that look that you envisage for how someone's going to look on stage um, is starting to all come together here in the, in the final few weeks. And it really is amazing to see, you know, if you've got people checking them multiple times across the week, and with each checking, you know they're just looking better and better. It's often in this sort of last window, five six weeks, where they they often really um, they change quite a lot. Um, but anyway, I I'm, I'm done with the rambles. I will get onto today's podcast uh, episode, which will be all to do with um occluded, occluded training. If um, if I don't ramble too much, I may go into um, a little bit about posing. In regards to beginners, the sort of when, where, why, how, um, and should. But um, for just now, uh, I'm just going to focus on the occluded training. And this was something that was kind of brought to my attention. Um, that I didn't have any any resources available that I had, had sort of either written or done a podcast on when I, I changed the program for a client who was injured um, and put in occluded training or they, they sort of have a, have a sore knee. And... Um, they said to me, oh, well, that's, you know, that's wicked, cool, um, I'd love to learn a little bit more about that, do you have anything you could say to me? And I was, it was honestly like the first time in so long I was like, no, n- n- no I don't, but um, I had to voice note them as to why we were putting it in. So I figured, hey, I'll make a podcast about it, I'll write an article about it, if some of you have seen my Instagram last week, you would have seen that um, I was busy... Sort of prepare an article for the website, just because again I understand that everyone sort of digests absorbs information um, a little bit differently. Some of you might understand, you know, what I'm meaning from just talking. Other you might need to have it sort of written out and be able to read it to, to absorb that information. So, I guess you know, what one thing we should always start off with is that it's often you know it's believed that you got to train with you know high mechanical loads um, to elicit sort of muscle growth, right and involve working within a rep range between 6 to 12 reps, going to you know muscular failure throughout your session, um, and then maybe the addition of some, some high rep, low rest work towards the end of your workout. Like, that's pretty self-explanatory, right? But occluded training, you could say, kind of goes against uh, the high mechanical loading part of, of things. Uh, we call this blood flow restriction training, or BFR, um, you'll see it denoted as, and it's shown more recently that it can cause a, a we call it a hypertrophy response, or it can cause muscle uh, muscle building, um, whilst training at a lot sort of lower loads than, than before. And, and personally, this is something I've used within my own training. Um, I've actually, I'll actually get into that towards the end of the podcast. Um, and I've used it with my clients over the years, finding pretty moderate success. However, I feel that like the concept of how this actually helps add muscle mass, um, or can aid in recovery um, whilst working on injury is kind of misunderstood um, and at times often poorly applied. So what is it in the first place? Well, blood flow restriction, There, you know, the kind of the hints in the name, um, the process, you know, it's a process by which you restrict blood that's kind of getting to a muscle um, and then you'll go in um, and perform uh, the exercise that, um, you know, whatever it is you're doing, let's say it's the leg extension or some some bicep curls. Um, and this can usually be done by using occlusion bands or um, you know wraps or, or such like. Um, if I was to, to talk about the tightness of how how tight you want them, it will, like a 10 out of 10 was as, as tight as they can go, we're probably looking for roughly an eight. But So if, that's just, if you're going to listen to this podcast and say after it, right, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to implement this because of X, Y, and Z, that's what my recommendation would be. Eight with ten, and these will commonly usually be placed on either the sort of top of the arms or the the top of the legs. So you know what that's going to do is going to restrict oxygen that you're breathing getting to the working muscle group. Um, and I'm sure many of you listening to this know by now. You know when we contract when we, when we contract muscle. You know to produce force. Um, we're going to need oxygen, and we're, we're sort of limiting that. But at the same time, as we do this, we are. Building up a lot of what we call metabolic waste products. Right, it's a fancy word, but let me just tell you, like, you know, you, I'm sure you've heard of lactic acid before, right? That's a metabolic waste product. So by restricting blood sort of flow uh, and then away from the working the working muscle, the removal of those sort of those uh, metabolic waste products um, is is restricted also. And okay, I I hope that you're still with me, um, so far. But you're probably still wondering, well, how does it work, right? When, when you look at the data, and I've included some references in the article that will go on the website, th- what they tend to do is they often have like a gold standard, right? And they say that to elicit a, a muscle growth response, you know, you need to be training at roughly 65% of your, your one repetition max, your one, one RM. And, and, you know, one RM is not something we really tend to do in bodybuilding. We, we kind of tend to work within that 6 to 12 um, range, right? But we, we're still kind of doing it to failure, right? Because we say give it the beans and train to that mechanical failure point. We're just doing it within a different rep range. So I, st- I feel that like the data still applies. Um, but if you were looking for a little bit of a, a crux in the data, you know, that's that's kind of where it would be. Um, so I will say if you're training to, to failure on each set, you're pretty good. Um, and you're going to be eliciting a you know, muscle growth response the uh, the data on sort of blood flow restriction or occluded training as you could call it um, shows that you can elicit hypertrophy response using as little as twenty or thirty percent of your one RM so you know that'd be twenty or 30 percent of your six to twelve rep max meaning that you know if you were let's say doing hundred kilos on the leg press um, and that's your you know effectively say six rep max you know if you use 20, 20, 30 kilos instead you could yield a similar response now. I'm gonna stop you there because you're thinking, fucking, Vaughn, you're a, you're an absolute idiot. You know what I mean? That there's no there's no fucking way that'll happen. Just just bear with me here, right? Just bear with me. So what what I suggest you do, right? And I'll get into the mechanisms behind why this will work in a second. Would be you put on the cuffs. Um, let, let's take the leg press for example. You go on. Um, you're going to do five sets in total. Now, here's the thing. Between each set, I would only prescribe about maximum thirty seconds rest. Right. So that first set, you're gonna do about twenty reps, and you probably do it, and you'll find that you know that's that's pretty easy, right. But then thereafter, you have four sets of roughly twelve to fifteen reps. So each set, you know, you do first set twenty, rest for thirty seconds, set twelve to fifteen, rest for thirty seconds, and so on and so forth. Let me tell you, if you haven't done it, the pain that that you feel by the time you get to set three is fucking real. <laughs> and you're probably wondering, well, why is that? Well have a think back to what I said at the sort of start of the podcast that it's mainly due to this sort of low oxygen environment and this, this massive buildup of metabolic waste products. Remember that if we are if we are accumulating a lot of lactic acid, um, if you know anything about lactic acid it's just going to cause an, an inhibition of muscle contraction meaning that you know your muscles don't really like it so if it's building up and up and up you can see why the the pain is so intense and i, I hope something your mind's just went click right hopefully if not let me try and break it down for you three mechanisms of adaptation in regards to um you know adding muscle mass that are that are commonly accepted Number one is that you need high mechanical load. Number two is muscular tension. And number three is metabolic stress. So when we occlude, you know, you're thinking, right, Vaughn, well, you just said that you're doing 23% of that, you know, that high mechanical load. So, right, cool. Well, that's out. So that leaves us with metabolic stress and mechanical tension. So that's where we're getting that that adaptation from. So we think, right, we're we're lifting 23% of what we're doing. That's really, really easy then for us to think about initiation, contraction, putting tension on the working muscle group throughout the set, if that makes sense. Rather than, at some high mechanical loads, and this can be some bodybuilder's downfall, that they, they, they put more load on the bar and they forget about mechanical tension. Right, and there's a bit of a catch-22 there, that you're thinking, right, I'm a fucking monster, I'm putting more load on the bar, when actually you're probably a little bit of a fairy because you're not moving it the way you should be moving it. So, anyway, despite the sort of potent effects of adding muscle mass demonstrated by numerous studies um, in on blood flow restriction sort of training, how those mechanisms of, you know, how it does that um, are, are poorly understood. So it's then theorised that this Ad, your muscular adaptation comes from muscular tension and, and metabolic stress. So I'm hoping that you have already seen the synergy between these two, right? You know that when we contract muscle tissue, we have waste products. You're then thinking, right, at lighter load, I have a greater ability to contract muscle. So you've got a greater, you know, greater ability to contract muscle, put tension. You're then generating more metabolic waste products. And then restricting them, getting away from the muscle, um, and and there you kind of have the, the theory behind um, how it works. What what we tend to see in or what I've seen in, in studies as well is usually at, at lighter loads we, we wouldn't recruit um, certain types of muscle fiber. So if you're listening to this and you don't know, there are different types of muscle fibers out there. You know, type one, type two A, type type two B. Now, what we want to try and recruit when we're lifting is is, is type 2, right? Those are the ones that are, we call them high threshold motor units. well that's a big fancy word. It just means that they can help, you know, produce a, a lot of force. Now, usually at low mechanical loads, you know, we're, we're, we're not going to be recruiting um, many of those type type 2s. It's going to be mostly, mostly type 1. However, due to the low oxygen environment, this sort of hypoxic nature, uh, could you call, it, actually sort of flips on its head. And we tend to see an increase in this recruitment of those type 2 fibres. So that's pretty crucial for adding new muscle mass. And we're getting recruitment of those because we are restricting oxygen to that muscle or that working muscle group itself. I guess another added benefit we could say before I I go into the last little bit here um, would be that when we're working at lighter loads, um, particularly with, with occlusion training, Um, we don't actually elicit much muscle breakdown itself, right? So, if you're not breaking down much muscle, then you're not going to have as much DOMS, you know, delayed onset of muscle soreness for those of you that don't know what DOMS means. So, if you, you know, if you were to have a lot of DOMS, you know, the day after training, you know, you couldn't really train that muscle group again for, you know, at least another day, at least a couple of days after you've trained. But... If we have a scenario by which we don't elicit much breakdown, we don't have much DOMS. One could then argue that we we would be able to train, you know, a little bit more frequently across the week. I'm not saying straight away the next day, but certainly a couple of days later, no problem at all. And then again, we think about we've spoken about those mechanisms of adaptation that we know cause a hypertrophy response or uh, you know muscle growth response. So if if we if you haven't known by now. If you train a muscle more frequently, usually you'll see more like a greater response from that as well. So you have this scenario by which you could effectively or what I used to do was I would tag on um biceps, occluded biceps at the end of a lower body session, and then the next day I would be able to hit arms at the end of like a pool day. No problem at all. And it would not affect this my strength or anything like that. So um yeah, I'm getting into my own personal experience, which I shouldn't be. So, last, lastly, um, but certainly not least, before I get into my personal experience, was some of the studies that I looked at, and this, this may be this is just some of the studies that I looked at. If if someone has found a study that says otherwise, or they think that's a little BS, I'm happy to send you over the the study I was looking at. Um, some of these words might kind of go over the top of your head, but for those of you that are sort of into to training, you'll you probably get quite excited. Um, some studies show that there's an increased production um, of growth hormone and of IGF-1 um, when it comes to occlusion training in regards to, because of the build of metabolic uh, waste products etc, um, etc et we, see, we, we see this response Now, you're maybe thinking in your head, oh fucking brilliant, growth hormone that means I'm going to get fucking huge Now, um, and I'll get to IGF-1 in a second, but for those of you that, that don't know, or or contrary to, to many beliefs, um, growth hormone is not directly involved in hypertrophy in, in muscle muscle growth. Right. Instead, um, you know, it can serve as a a protective role, shall we say, for for tendons, ligaments, cartilage, and and soft tissue. So we could you can then see why blood flow restriction training would be included training, sorry, um, same thing, can be an effective recovery tool for athletes that are experiencing an injury. Number one, it'll allow them to add muscle, or you could argue maybe, if they're a large individual with a lot of muscle mass, hold on to the muscle mass that they have built, whilst also aiding in recovery. Having to go a little bit lighter can maybe perhaps mean that they're actually able to To be mobile versus you know they have an inability to do high mechanical loads, Um, accompany that with the benefits it has to growth hormone. We have a perfect scenario by something that can actually aid in recovery. Now, IGF one, insulin growth factor, uh, insulin growth factor one. um, We don't necessarily need to go into too much detail, um, in regards to this, but. For, for anyone out there who uses anabolics and is under the impression or kind of knows that growth hormone use alone won't cause muscle an increase in muscle mass, but we know when we combine the two that it does, right? So, if you use anabolic steroids, uh, you will have uh, an increase in what we call IGF-1 uh, receptors in muscle mass. So that and that's only if you're using anabolics. So let's say you do a training, you see an increase in IGF 1. That increase in IGF 1 that's going through your blood is then able to, to interact these like these increased receptors at in in muscle mass. Now, again, it's not a podcast that we're going to go into too much physiology, but by binding, by the IGF one binding to that receptor. It can have a downstream effect on what I always talk about is the muscle building pathway, known as mTOR. So then you could say that IGF-1 in this scenario, if you're using anabolic steroids, has an indirect effect on muscle growth. So again, we can see here that not only are do we have a benefit of some studies have shown it can, can aid in, in adding muscle mass. Now, what I would say is again with, with a lot of studies, I say this often, you've got to take you gotta always take them with a pinch of salt, you've got to review them, you've got to critique them and think, right, okay, is this applicable to me? Is the participants in the study the same as me, for example? Um some studies might look at um, you know, what they would say trained individuals, and then when you go down to the description, it might say Trained individuals were, you know, men and women over the age of sixty that um, had been, you know, subject to a training pro- program um, given to them by a gym instructor of from, you know, the the the, the training program provided, and it was done for, um, you know, twenty four weeks, and you kind of go right well, I'm a, I'm a thirty one year old male that takes anabolic steroids, how applicable is that to me, right? So this is where you always have to. To look at a study and then say right, does that apply to me? Um, but for the most part, you know, studies is studies are all we have to kind of go with in regards to whether something works or it is it has merit. I think it's always going to come down to your own personal experience, and um, in sort of trial, trialing this, and and see how it goes. So I guess uh, if I was to to give you my personal experience um, with it, and and I've used, I've used occluded training on and off for for years I'm currently at a point where I'm not using it I'll get into that in a second um, but I, I stand by his use within the sport of bodybuilding um, it was something that I I added into my training back in 2019 in 2020 um, specifically to my biceps uh, to to bring them up because they were a weak area for me a lagging body part is as we usually say um, and when I kind of compare the pictures uh, over over the course of the months there was definitely an increase in size and density um, but personally I always kind of feel there's there's a limit on how long you'll tend to see a response for right a lot of these studies will say yeah this caused this this caused this but then there's never going to be a okay that you know you should have this in for X amount of months and then you should change uh, so I just found that personally I needed to have it in for a little bit of time and then make a change so f- for me like stints of maybe let's say 8, 10, 12 weeks probably all I'd recommend um, before I would probably suggest you just look at changing your program up um, to increase frequency or volume or whatever it is to those areas and if I, if I like look back um, at how I was training in 2019 and 2020 um, I, I, I think I was just stubborn. Like I was set in my ways of how I trained and I wasn't willing to change that. And instead of, you know, instead of saying, right, okay, I'll put in an arm there. We'll, we'll do this. We'll do that. I was like, right, I'm not going to fucking change my split because number one, I was training in a pure gym and a lot of the machines were getting too light for me. So there was kind of limited by what I could do. So I was like, I'm just going to do more. I'm just going to do more um, and it meant that I just, you know, I just added in biceps at the end of lower day. Um, I included biceps at the end of every lower day. Whereas now, kind of come 2021, um, training from, you know, my own facility now, um, I personally train biceps three times a week um, and have one, one day across the week that's completely set out for arms um, and usually there's a bit more bicep work uh, on that day and and I found great success with that, but it's not to say that in the past I haven't found success with a Clura training as well. As I said, everything that I'll put out um, will will be my opinion. Will be kind of what's worked, what's not worked, what I found, um, and for you to take that for 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 what it's worth. Implement it or not, or just listen. Um, I have used it over the years uh, with clients that have picked up an injury, um, and I think it's really, really beneficial in that scenario because, you know, I always found it fascinating how my clients were able to just hold on to, to the muscle they had built, um, uh, you know, at these lighter loads, recover quicker um, than they would usually do without it, and it it meant that they weren't deflated, you know. Okay, they come, they came, come to me and said, "Right, one, um, you know, I've got, I've got knee pain, or you know, I've got a bit tendinitis in my elbow, and then they can often get really deflated when they can't do a certain movement or train a certain way. So then, if we could utilize the occlusion bands to be like, right, well, they still, they still get that feeling like they're doing that movement that they have, maybe perhaps an emotional connection with, or um, whatever it is." They get that feeling, they get that, they get that mental boost, I guarantee it's going to have a positive effect on every other session across the week. Because they go into it not feeling frustrated or flustered, they go into it feeling positive because they, they they don't feel like a failure when they come out to the gym, they feel successful, they feel a burn. A lot of people, like they just need to feel sore, they need to feel a burn, right? So they feel like they've done some work. They're then able to train that same movement more frequently, so rather than only being able to train legs three times a week, you could perhaps increase, uh, sorry, twice a week if you're a male. Three times a week. If you're a female, um, you can maybe increase that frequency by a day. You know what I mean? Uh, or adapt their training program so that occluded leg work was in there three times across the week versus just the two, or four times across. We can just say just the three, um, because remember you're not you're not eliciting much muscle. You're not eliciting any muscle breakdown. It's all coming from that metabolic stress adaptation and muscular tension. So, I guess when you when you look at it as a whole. It's really beneficial to put in but I'll, I'll be honest with you personally now I probably only program it when a client's injured I, I now you know from a coaching perspective I would say my programming has got a lot better um, and I'll now my programming's is way more personalized for the individual than ever has been um, and I just opt to, to to put in arm days or more arms or changes their split up um, and that's how I kind of do things so if you were five to kind of summarise this this podcast, I'd just say that that the you know exercise induced metabolic stress and mechanical tension that we that we get are theorised to to signal a number of mechanisms um, for for new muscle growth coming from blood flow restriction training or included training. You know, as I said, they're they're often poorly you know it's kind of poorly misunderstood. It's it's theorised. It's not. It's not definite, um, but these sort of the, these mechanisms me- mechanisms will include, as I said, as I said the you know the increase of type two muscle fibers, the increased uh, levels of growth hormone. You know, we talked about increased levels of IGF one, um, and reduced muscle damage. Yeah, I think it can be used. You know, I think it's a great way for for using with athletes that are recovering. From an injury as i said um you know for someone that isn't able to load that injured tissue with heavy weights and can kind of give them uh, a mental boost you know i i guess on top of that you could say an athlete already doing a lot of heavy lifting that needs a little bit of extra hypertrophy you know they're maybe they're maxed out at their volume you know they we, we talk about this maximum recoverable volume for every body part um, only really if you're training, you've been training for a very long fucking time, will you actually know what that is. Like for example, um, I'll know that I don't need any more than about six or seven sets for my quads uh, across the week to to grow, right? If I was to push that up to anywhere above ten sets, my knees would just get sore as hell, and and I would need to pull back, and I'd probably get injured, and I couldn't train hard, and I couldn't couldn't progress. Uh, but that's through sort of years of knowing. So, I mean, in that scenario, let's say my quads were, were lagging, and I, just, I knew that, and I pushed up to nine, and uh, I wanted to add a couple more, right, I could just do a cluded leg extension, and put them on the end of other days, not not illicit much muscle that da- any muscle damage, should I say, um, and that would give me that sort of extra hypertrophy or muscle growth work that, um, that was needed to bring up a sort of lad body, body part, but without putting in sort of heavy weights, heavy volume into the, into the program. So I guess that in a nutshell is, is occluded training. I, I don't think, uh, yeah, I said I would maybe do a little bit on uh, posing I think that's for another episode, if I'm honest, like that's, uh, it's been almost half an hour as it is. And when I, when I do these on my own, uh, that's the kind of limit I like to stay within is the usual about the 30 minute marker, just because I think otherwise you might maybe just get fucking bored. If you listen, if you're still listening to this and you're listening to this for 28 minutes, um, and you're not bored of my voice, um, I'm, surp- I'm surprised. You probably are. You're probably just like, yeah, he's fucking boring, but at least he gives us free information. So so that's wicked. And yeah, absolutely. I would I'd take that as well, if I were you. So that is kind of it from me, guys. Uh, if you enjoyed this podcast, uh, please do let me know. If you want to find out a little bit more about included training or anything else I talk about in these podcasts, remember the majority of what I speak about will be written in article form and will be on vwphysique.com, all free. For you to read at your leisure, um, easy digestible information. You know, I try and make sure we're not saying too much sciencey or fancy words for you, and that's how the articles are written as well. So, if you are someone listening that is very well adept in physiology, um, I apologise for the gross, you know, sim- you know simplifying of it. But really, that's who I'm trying. I'm not trying to speak to yourself. I'm trying to speak to to the people that really don't understand this stuff, and hope that it comes across that way, um, not only that we also know that the gyms are opening pretty damn soon, uh, maybe you've lost your way, you can go over to www.vwz.com um, and download a free program that will um, maybe perhaps give you some structure, going to the gym, we have a male push-pull sort of leg split designed to, to bring up you know, top of the chest, big delts etc um, and then we have like a female uh, bikini split that, that shows you a lower body day, maybe perhaps an upper body day and then, then a full-body day. And you can take from them what you what you like, and um, implement them into your own sort of programme, or add in bits and bobs. And if you do that, I want to hear from you, I want to know about it. Um, If you thought it was shite, fair play. <laughs> still let us know. Um, but hey, that is it from me, guys. Um, I hope that if you are still waiting on the gyms to open, um, you know, hang in there. It's been a fucking tough time for everyone, um, especially over the past year. The gyms have been shut in here for Scotland for, you know, over, it's going to be 40 weeks, I think, or sorry, maybe I'm wrong, 34 weeks and like a 52, out of 52 or something like that, which is crazy. Um, you know, if you, if you told me that we would be here uh, a couple of years ago, I never would have believed you. If you told me that I would need to write a letter um, for my clients so that they can use the gym, I would have told you you were an idiot. If you told me I would have needed to write a letter so my, my athlete or client could go stay at a hotel and and you know because they are an athlete competing in a sporting event and I have to I have to back that up and prove it, you know, I, I wouldn't have believed you whatsoever. I would have said you're delusional, but hey, that is the world we live in, and um, that is the hand we're dealt and like anything, um it's how you play. It's how you play it, isn't it? It's not is like the hand you're dealt might be shit, but if you play it well, And things can usually work out okay. So, listen, guys, that is it for me. Wherever you are, whatever you do, give it the beans.